Church, why don't we stand together as we do hear from God's Word. We are in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. We left off last week at verse 5, so we'll pick it up in verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6, all the way to 15. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You may be seated, church. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning we are going to attempt to understand from your word something that is unfathomable. We are going to try to see in your word this morning, God, how it is possible that we here are united already in Christ. That we are already one with Christ as Christians. And we're going to look and see how you have put that on display for us in this passage this morning. And God, I know that we need your help to understand it. So by your Spirit's power, would you reveal to us the truth that lies here in your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When we began to study Colossians together as a church a few weeks ago, I told you that the reason that Paul had written to this church in Colossae was because They were being led astray by false teachers. And we don't know exactly what it it was that these people were teaching, but we know the essence of it. They were teaching that Jesus was not enough. Essentially this, Jesus is great and all, but once you've got him, then you can move on to the real good stuff. Because Jesus is, is just the gateway to religious experience. Well, this week and next week, we are going to see Paul begin to forcefully, and I mean forcefully, respond to this teaching because it's false. And he does this through first teaching the church and then warning the church. Does that sound familiar? 
Last week we saw that, that Paul was telling us that a faithful ministry first teaches and then warns. And Paul's going to do that very thing for us this week and next week. He first teaches the Colossians to walk in Christ because they really and truly are in Christ. And the next week we're going to see that he warns them not to seek anything outside of Christ. Teaching them and then warning them with all wisdom. Well, the teaching begins here in verse 6. If you have your Bibles open still, I hope you do. If you don't, there's a pew Bible in front of you. You will need it this morning. Colossians 2, verse 6. This is where Paul's teaching begins. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The entire rest of this letter is hinged on this verse. The warning that we'll read next week, it comes out of this verse. All the instructions that we'll see in chapters 3 and 4 in coming weeks about what our lives in Christ should look like and what they shouldn't look like, all of that comes out of this verse. What our marriages should look like, it depends on verse 6. What our parenting looks like, how how we should treat our employees, how we should treat our bosses, how we treat those outside of Christ, what our speech, the things we say, it's grounded here in verse 6. In fact, everything that follows from your conversion from death to life by the Holy Spirit all the way to the end is built on and hinged on verse 6. Just as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. See, this verse reminds us of our identity, our identity in Christ. It reminds us of our union with Christ. It reminds us that all we are and all we have comes from our union with Christ Jesus the Lord. We talked this, about this briefly last week, but if this verse is so important, we, we really need to understand it. We have to know what it means to receive Christ Jesus the Lord, as Paul says. Some of your Bibles, if you don't have an ESV or a King James or New American Standard, actually only the NIV does this, uh, they say that you receive Christ Jesus as Lord. I rarely say this, but I'm going to correct your NIV Bible. I don't think it's right to say to receive Christ Jesus as Lord. I think that the ESV and the King James are more accurate. They're more tied to to Paul's intent, to the original text. Receiving Christ isn't about receiving a particular understanding of who Christ is. It is about receiving Christ himself. The person, Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus Christ, the Lord. You received him as he is. Well, let's put it in simpler English because this is what that means. When you received Jesus, the anointed king, you received God himself. That's the only way to receive Christ. We grow in our understanding of who he is, but when we receive him, we receive him for all that he is. Well, when did you receive him? If you're a Christian, you received Christ when you received the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13 By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. 
To have Christ means to have the Spirit because Christ dwells in us through the Spirit. And that, that Holy Spirit's dwelling in us unites us to Christ. It brings us in to Christ. That's why Paul says, so as you have received Christ, so walk, look at the preposition, walk in Him, not walk like Him, not walk beside Him, or behind Him, or beneath Him, walk in Him. What's Paul saying? He's saying your life, your very identity as a Christian is in Christ, if you have received Him. So your entire life then is lived in Christ. It's a location. It's not just a saying. Your life is lived in Christ. Just as you you have received him, you abide, you live in him. How is that? It seems mystical, doesn't it? It's by faith. You, You were brought to life by the Holy Spirit, and then by faith, you understand your old self is gone. You were crucified with Christ. Your very being, your existence is now in Christ. Right now, you have been raised up from death and seated with Christ at God's right hand. We're going to see that very clearly when we get to Colossians 3. And what we need to understand is that has already happened for us if we're in Christ. If you've been raised up, you've been united to Christ's person. See, spirit-powered faith enables you to trust that that reality is true. That's what faith is. Faith is a God-given confidence in that unseen reality. So to walk in Christ means to live like that is true. To live by faith, not by sight. To live in the spirit, not in the flesh. To live with your eyes set on things above, not on things here below. Live like your identity is up there, already raised up with Jesus Christ, because it is. See, that last part, that's kind of hard for our sensibilities, isn't it? I I think we get, we kind of get, at least, this, this... idea of receiving Christ. We're taught that from from when we were little children in Sunday school. We understand that there is this God-shaped hole in us that can only rightly be filled with Jesus Christ. That's a biblical concept. That's a universal human concept. Everyone is looking to fill that hole. But then here's how we take that a step further as culturally as Americans. Because we, as a people, this is a good thing and it's a bad thing, we are a people whose very existence is constant improvement, isn't it? That's who we are. We're always making things better. We're culturally searching for something to make our lives better or easier. We begin with ourselves and then we look for ways to improve on who we are and what's going on around us. Go to to Barnes & Noble. How big is the self-help section? It is huge. This is who we are. We're looking for things. It's not surprising, 
is it that we would want better lives? We see the effect of sin in our lives. We see broken marriages all around us in our own marriages sometimes. We see our drug-addicted family members, our porn-addicted husbands, and our depression-plagued wives, our, our financial debt, our estranged kids who don't talk to us anymore. We see corruption in the Democrats. We see corruption in the Republicans. We see corruption in the court and in the cops. We're assaulted daily with gratuitous sex and violence in TV and in movies and in video games. We see an utter glorification of darkness and death. And we're to the point where we hardly even bat an eye at it anymore. There's no respect for authority. Kids are being born with no dads. Kids are being born with two dads. Kids are being killed before they're born. Everywhere we look, we see brokenness, and we think, rightly, there has got to be a better way. Christianity, then, for us, becomes the solution to that brokenness. Jesus becomes the ticket out of that, and as a bonus, not only that, but, but you also get to avoid hell if we'll just receive him and establish a personal relationship with him. We get that it's crucial to receive Jesus. But I want to argue this morning that we do not go far enough. We don't go far enough of our understanding of what it means to receive Jesus. You see, Christianity is actually not about establishing a personal relationship with Jesus. That may come of a shock to you. But here's the problem. That idea conjures up this image of, of welcoming Jesus in and adding Jesus to who we already are. But open up your Bibles and you will not find that anywhere. Nowhere in your Bibles will you see the phrase personal relationship with Jesus. The Bible never uses that phrase when it talks about our conversion to Christ. You see, Christianity is not adding Jesus to who you are. It is replacing Jesus for who we were. When we use a phrase like personal relationship with Jesus for the idea of dying to ourselves and then being raised up into Christ, a concept that is all over the New Testament, we miscommunicate and we confuse one of the most essential truths of Christianity. To be in Christ does not mean you have a personal relationship with Jesus any more than a fish has a personal relationship with water. It's sort of true, but it's not helpful. A fish's very existence depends on and is lived out in the water. To be in Christ, Christian, means that you belong to Jesus. You are not your own anymore. You died. You were buried with Christ in his death, and you were raised up in him. All you are, all you have now is Christ. To call that a personal relationship isn't wrong, but it's just so incomplete it doesn't do justice to the reality of your new life in Christ. See, when you received Christ, you didn't add him to who you were. When you received Christ, you died. 
You died and you were raised up a new creation in him. And by faith, we enter through that. We enter into the very presence of God through our union with Christ. So the Christian life then, it's not about striving to achieve a a deeper, more personal walk with Christ. The Christian life is about living out who you already are in Jesus Christ. There is nothing that we can do that makes us more one with Christ. There's nothing that we can do that can make us less one with Christ. Being one in Christ, listen, it is the essence of who you are now. That's why in verse 7, Paul uses these two analogies for what this looks like. Because we can't imagine this. He says we're rooted and we're built up in him. Do you see that in verse 7? See, to be rooted in him means everything you need for your new life in Christ comes from Christ. By the grace of God, you have been severed, cut off from your old dependence on the flesh and on this world. And you've been grafted into Christ, the most vigorous, fruit-producing rootstock there ever was. So if you're rooted in him, then all that you need to live this life is found in him. The orange trees in my yard that were grafted into to healthy root stock a long time ago, they are completely dependent on their roots. They derive every drop of life from that root stock that they were grafted into. They don't have any illusions as trees of, of having gotten a jump start from the root stock And if only they could move on to something new and something better, then they'd have a fuller experience of life as an orange tree. No. If an orange tree could understand anything, it would know and it would tell you that it must be connected to those good roots. There is no life outside of that root. Verse 7 also says we're built up in him. So for those trees to to grow up and be built up means that they just keep clinging to that root. Many times we think, we think that the Christian life is about doing certain things. I, I've got to do this or I've got to do that because those are the rules. That there are things that God wants me to do. These are the things I do to please God. These are the things I do to be accepted by God. I've got to tithe. I've got to share my faith. I've got to go to Sunday school. I've got to raise my kids right. I've got to do this. I've got to avoid this. I've got to do these things so I can be a better Christian. What I do will determine what I will be. But here's what we see in this idea of being united to Christ and rooted in him and built up in him. Listen, the Christian life is not about doing. It's about being. Who we are in Christ is the foundation of who we are now. It's not what you do that makes that more so or less so. It is what Christ has done and nothing makes you more in Christ or less in Christ. What we do is simply how we walk in who we are. We live out 
who we are in Christ. Walking in Christ is an expression of who we are. There's no such thing as being a better Christian. Erase that from your vocabulary. You cannot be a better Christian. If you're in Christ, if you're unified with Christ, there will never be any improvement to that. Because there can be no improvements made to Christ. Very God of very God. Here's what is true, though. Your growth in him, because you will grow in him, it just makes it all the brighter that your very existence, your entire life is nourished by your union with Christ. So you can grow in reliance on him. You can grow in your faith and your, your confidence that your very identity is stored up in him. And when that happens, what gets put on display is that you love the things that Jesus Christ loves. And you hate the things that he hates. And your marriage begins to reflect that Christ-like love. And your parenting reflects Christ. Your work and your relationships and your service to others, your hospitality and your love for your neighbor, all of your life simply reflects and expresses who you are in Christ. You become less and less an individual and Christ himself becomes more and more visible in you. To be built up in Christ then means this, that as you mature in who you already are, you begin to look more like Christ. You're already in Christ, you're built up into Christ. You just look more like Jesus. So there at the end of verse 7, when Paul says that we are to be established in the faith, what he means is that this is the teaching that establishes us. Our identity in Christ, our union, our oneness with Christ is the understanding of Christianity that is the foundation for the Christian life. All we do comes from that understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. So if this morning you are trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, but you think that it is your relationship with Christ that is what's saving you, what Paul would say is that you need to be reestablished in the faith. I don't mean recommit your life to Christ or anything like that. I, I mean this. Simply understand that it isn't your relationship to Christ that is saving you. It is Christ himself who is your salvation. He is the one who is righteous before the Father, isn't he? So it is in him that you are righteous before the Father. He is the one that is a son to the Father. So it is in him that you are a child of the Father. He is the one who died and rose again. So it is in him that you die to the flesh and are raised up in the spirit so that one day you will be raised up with a new body as well. You need to see that your identity is not outside of Christ and then you relate to Christ like he's the best neighbor in the world with the best connections and gives you everything for free if you'll only ask. Your salvation in Christ isn't you outside of him relating to him like a buddy. I want you to get that. 
Your salvation is in Christ himself. Otherwise, and here's the tragedy, otherwise, none of what Christ has done for you means anything. One pastor puts it this way. He says, we must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that we possess is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. That is the teaching. That is the faith that we are to be established in. And it is that faith that leads to, look at the rest of verse 7, it leads to thanksgiving, abounding in thanksgiving. If all we have is stored up in Christ and we are brought into Christ by grace, not by works, then we have every reason to abound in thanksgiving. What else can we do but be thankful? Seven times in this letter, in Colossians, seven times Paul says that thankfulness is the only response to what Christ has done for us. It's the only rightful response. It is the most worshipful response you can have. Our lives should be characterized by thankfulness. What reason? Name something that we could possibly have to gripe about and complain about if anything and everything has been given to us in Christ. Are you, are you tracking with, with Paul here, church? I, I know this may seem like a new way to look at Christianity for many of you, but this is the way that Paul sees Christianity, and he was writing on God's behalf so I want to make sure that we get this. Our union with Christ is so absolutely foundational to what it even means to be saved. We have to understand it. So what we're going to do now is just take a one-verse pause from that idea, let it sink in a little bit, and then we're going to get back into it in verse 9. Here's the one-verse pause. Look at verse 8. See to it, Paul says, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. What's he saying? He's saying, don't be shaken out of knowing that your identity is in Christ. Don't be misled by all of the people who are going to try and teach you otherwise, because they will. See, who we are in Christ, it does not at all make sense to the world outside. Worldly philosophy is always going to be more plausible because it is, it's based on things you can see. It's based on our experience of the world around us. But this, this reality of our union with Christ is based on something we cannot see. I can't see the Spirit. I can't see myself in Christ right now, seated with Him in the heavenly places. I can't see that. I can't feel that. I can't even prove to you that that's true. I can't even prove to you that He's returning, that He's coming back, or that He ever even ascended. I can't prove 
that I'm justified and made righteous before God in Christ. I cannot prove that I have been made completely new in Jesus Christ. The Spirit can work in me all of the fruit of my rootedness to Christ, but the world will not see it as fruit. How does the world see the, the fruit of the Spirit? It's weakness. Weakness. See, what we have in Christ is foolishness to the world around us. This whole business about our Savior dying and being raised up, it's a stumbling block to Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians. It is imperative then that we see to it that we are not shaken from the foundations of our faith. Our tendency, and Paul knows this, and we know this, our tendency is always going to be look not to our rootedness and our growth in Christ in good sound doctrine. That's way too ordinary. That's boring. It isn't flashy enough. The world isn't attracted to that and whole how we want to be attractive and loved by the world. So what we'll do is we, we look for the things the world likes and we try to add those to our faith to try and gain some sort of ecstasy, some experience to add on to what we have in Christ that we only have by faith. We crave these spiritual highs and mountaintop experiences and all the excitement. We look for signs and wonders. We look for things like tongues and healings and being slain in the spirit. We look for tears. We want to know it's true, so we look for tears. And we look for tingly sensations or just these overwhelming moments. Anything that will elevate us beyond the ordinary. We seek after experiences in order to add to what Christ has already established for us. Because we're tempted in the flesh to not see that what Christ has done is enough. In Colossae, it seems some teachers were, were even trying to add circumcision to Christianity. They said, look how tough we are. We're willing to go to great lengths, or shorter lengths, rather, to really show our commitment. So God will accept us, and we can go to the next level. Paul says, that's not so. Everything is found in Christ. All you are is already bound up in Jesus Christ. There's nothing you can add. There's nothing you can take away that adds to who you are in Christ. There's no level higher than being in Christ himself. So the remainder of this text gets back to that idea. Verses 9 through 15. All defend the truth that everything is found in Christ. Christ himself is our salvation. Verses 9 and 10 tell us that our experience of God, if you're looking for experiences our experience of God is only to be found in Christ. That means we don't go outside of Christ to experience God. We experience God by sharing in the Son's life together before the Father. Look with me at verses 9 and 10. In Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. 
Here's the idea. Christ has a body. He dwells in the heavenly places right now in bodily form. I know that seems shocking to some of you, but we don't have time to discuss it right now. And if you want to talk more about it, meet me for coffee, and I will. Christ in bodily form is fully God. And here's where it gets even more crazy. Paul says we have been filled in him. So there's Christ seated in the heavenly places with the Father. You receive the Spirit and simultaneously enter into Christ. And he is full of the character of God because he is God. And you and me, like empty buckets, enter into the Christ well and we are filled in him. Only our filling is not water. It is the Holy Spirit, God himself. There is no, and there could possibly be no spiritual experience greater than that. You have God himself if you're in Christ. What more could you want? See, we're tempted to want an identity outside of that. We think that maybe if we have more power or if we have more influence or if we're more beautiful or if we're smarter or more popular, well, then we can have that greater experience of what God wants for us. We can be more like God. We wouldn't say it that way. That's how it is. That's the flesh in you craving for things outside of what God's provided when we crave anything other than Christ, we are seeking a completeness that we don't think we have right now. We're seeking an identity that is outside of Christ himself, and he is God, but we're seeking a God experience on our own, apart from God. And we give in to that same temptation that the old man, Adam, gave in to. And this is the source of every bit of your trouble. Christian, your identity is not in your work. It's not in what you do. It's not in your children. It's not in your spouse. It's certainly not in your failures. It's definitely not in your success. It's not in your wealth. Listen, all that you are is bound up in Christ. And you could not possibly ask for anything greater in Christ you share in the fellowship of the father son and spirit what more do you want dwell on that focus on Christ let your life overflow out of that truth because it can You see, you aren't characterized anymore by your past. You are characterized now by Christ's past and his life. Look at what Christ has done here in the rest of this passage. Look how he made all of this possible for us. In verses 11 and 12, we're reminded that when Christ died, he killed the power of the flesh over us. See, circumcision cuts off this itty-bitty bit of flesh. Big deal. Christ cuts off all of your flesh. Old Testament circumcision is a symbolic cutting off of this small bit of flesh to show that you're on God's team. 
If you're an Israelite, you belong to him. You don't belong to the flesh. You belong to God. And, the, and your, your, your promise then is to submit to God's law because you belong to him. And only those who had been circumcised could enter into the temple, into the presence of God. But that ritual, that symbol, was only meant to be a shadow. A shadow of what was to come in Christ Jesus. In Christ, not just a portion of the flesh's power over us is removed. And we enter not just into a building. We enter into Christ himself. The Spirit of God dwells in us and we live in Christ, the new temple, the true presence of God. And we symbolize this truth through baptism. So ordinary. Water. See, baptism is the New Testament equivalent of Old Testament circumcision. Through baptism, we symbolize that our old fleshy self was crucified and cut off and buried. And through faith, we died to that flesh. And we're raised up into new life, into Christ. And because that happens through faith, we as Baptists believe that we are baptized upon a profession of faith. Keep going in verse 13. Paul is showing us here the beauty of this gospel. I don't want you to miss it. He says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. See, to be dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, it means this, that before we were made alive by God and united to Christ, we were characterized by our flesh, by a rebellion to God. In the flesh, we were and are hostile to God. Being hostile toward God, we were the walking dead. We had no hope. We were separated from him. No access to him. Banned from his presence. Just like Old Testament Gentiles banned from the temple. But God... Don't miss that. It's God's work. God made us alive together with Christ, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Everything that we did showed that our allegiance was to the world, but God forgave us in Christ. How so? Look at verse 14. This is just one long argument. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Our debt was our sin. What are the legal demands? The penalty for the sin. Death. The wages of sin is death. That's what we had coming our way. And we had no escape route. We were on death row. And we were loving every minute of it. And we were daily adding to our indebtedness. In ourselves, we were only capable of heaping upon ourselves guilt plus guilt plus guilt. And we were storing up for ourselves God's wrath because of our rebellion against him. But God did this. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us along with the death penalty that we were doomed to endure. He set it aside. 
And how did he do that? He nailed it to the cross, verse 14 says. What was nailed to the cross? A credit card statement? A person. Jesus Christ. In the death of Jesus Christ, he absorbed within himself all of those legal demands, all of that indebtedness, the penalty for who we were, our flesh. It went to the cross with Christ. Verse 15 says that in that act, he, the he there is God the Father, God the Father disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That him is Jesus Christ. So God took all the power away from all the rulers and all the authorities. That's Satan and his minions. Anyone who has a claim over us because of our guilt. God disarmed them. That, that word put them to shame. He stripped them of their clothing. God disarmed them. He put them to shame through Christ's justice and wrath-absorbing sacrifice. His sacrifice absorbed all the justice it absorbed all the wrath. The penalty has been paid. And the rulers and authorities, they have no claim over us anymore. We don't have any guilt before God. And they can no longer accuse us of guilt before God. So if you're feeling guilty, you don't need to. In fact, when the Spirit enters us and we enter to Christ, our feeling shouldn't be guilt and condemnation. It is triumph because of what God has done. Our lives are to be lived in that reality. That is what we walk in every day now. Christ himself is who we walk in because that is what Christ has done for us. There is nothing you can do that takes you to another level of Christianity. There's no such thing. There's nothing you can do that makes you more acceptable before God. In fact, your acceptance before God himself, your very being in the presence of God right now, it isn't even you. It is Christ, and you are in Christ, and he's all you need. So stop trying. Be content in Christ and guard yourself from the temptation to find any, any identity outside of Christ. Because only in Christ are you reconciled to God. Because only in Christ are you the son of God. Only in Christ are you filled in God. So if you're looking for identity or meaning or purpose outside of Christ, you know what's going to happen when you get it? You're going to puff yourself up and you're going to become pompous and arrogant. And if you seek that importance outside of Christ and you don't get it, you're going to sin until you do. So be content in Christ instead. Revel in Christ. Gaze on Him. Walk in Him. Be thankful for what He has done because you are complete in Him. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, you don't claim the name of Christ at all, Right now, your identity, it really is outside of Christ. You're striving 
for meaning and you're striving for significance in humanity and, and in relationships and in work and all the other countless things that the world offers us to give us that meaning and significance. And I'm, going, I'm not going to lie to you. You will find it. You will find meaning and significance in those things, but it will never be enough. You'll always want more because none of those things is God. Right now, Jesus Christ, through his spirit, is breaking through to you with his word. Hear it. Receive him. You are being invited to share in the son's relationship with the father. But the only way forward is to die to yourself. To die to your desire to be a greater version of you. The only way forward into Christ is to repent of your desire to defend yourself or to make much of yourself and to simply receive Christ himself as your new identity. You will only be content in Christ. 